Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Again, I get the opportunity of sharing uh, God's message uh, every Sunday, and I consider it a privilege. I want you to know, Christ uncensored that uh, every time I get to preach before you guys, I take this this uh, responsibility very seriously. And so it's my privilege to share this with you guys. I believe, and I want you guys to listen to with the ears of your heart. I believe that this is the message that God has tailor-made for this community. Amen? All right. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, So I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, Offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. An offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. Now watch this. Considering, considering what he has done, it is only right. Look at the person next to you. Tell him it's only right. It's only right that you should worship him in this way. Verse 12, and we conclude here. It says, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Another translation says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. It says, but be transformed. To be like the people of this world, it says, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. With a new way of thinking. The title to my message today is, A Lifestyle of Worship. A lifestyle of worship. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, worship. I'm going to give you all time. Say, worship, worship. is my lifestyle. lifestyle. Say it again. Come on. Say, worship, worship. is my lifestyle. Oh, we, got, we got a good talk back crowd today. That's what I'm talking about. You guys know I need to talk back. You can say, hallelujah. Say, go ahead, preacher. Somebody shout, take your time, take your time. It's all right. You can get excited in church. As a matter of fact, you can pull the mask a little bit down and say, hallelujah. No, I'm just joking. You're going to get in trouble at a leadership meeting. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these moments that we have together. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you speak to our church. Do what you can only do. Uh, we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And everybody says, amen. Give God a shout of praise one more time in this place. Okay, I usually like to start my messages with a question, and, and my question today is, have you ever got into a serious, a serious misunderstanding? A serious? That means none of you guys have ever been in a relationship, because if you have ever been in a relationship, come on, somebody, like, you could, like, you literally trip and you fall by accident, by chance, you fall into a misunderstanding. You know what I'm talking about? Right, like, like, if you have ever been in a relationship, there is no possible way that you have not been misunderstood or have been in a misunderstanding. Now, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I have been going to therapy for four years, so I'm letting you know right now. So, my wife clapped. Hallelujah, praise God. 
I'm going to say this again. We've been going to therapy for four years. We've been going to therapy for four years. And, man, it has been a blessing because, let me tell you, when I first got married, there were some serious misunderstandings that I had about marriage and about Lisa and about relationships in period. I'm, t- I'm telling you, they were some serious misunderstandings. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, when I would get, uh, what's the word they use nowadays? Angry. But for me, you know, you know me, guys. It was holy, righteous anger. And Lisa was in the flesh. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And I'm telling you, like, when we first got married, like, this is what would happen. Like, if I would get upset, this woman of God, she would, like, get closer the louder I got. I don't know about you, but I'm six foot one, 250 pounds, blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, you come this close to me, and she would come so close, the louder I get. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd be like, she's like, I'm not getting close. And I'm like, yo, Lisa, back up. Back, Lee, Lee, I'm telling you, back up. She's like, no, no, I just want to hear you because I can't hear you from all the way over there. What's up? I'm like, yo, back up. I was under a serious misunderstanding. I thought that she was trying to sneak me one. You know what I mean? She was going to catch me, you know, blindsided. Like, she was trying to sneak me one. And I was saying to myself, like, this got to stop. But then we went to therapy, and I realized that what was happening is that psychologically there was an event that was taking place when she was in her childhood. Like Lisa was naturally raised to be a protector. She was the only one in her siblings that would go and protect her mother. So instead of seeing Lisa seeing danger and running away from it, Lisa sees danger and runs towards it because she be, she's become a natural protector. Yeah, I could give her a round of applause for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> misunderstanding, but misunderstanding corrected. Um, and then, just a couple of weeks ago, like actually a couple of days ago, I tell you, man, um, this thing is crazy because I'm proud of myself. Because there was a time, I'm telling you, there was a time that I thought when a lady said, I got this and I don't need any help. You know what I thought she meant? I thought she meant, I got this and I don't need your help. <laughs> I have realized that. When Lee says that, she doesn't mean that. I mean, literally, the other day, we are going Christmas tree shopping. And I don't know if all ladies do this, but I know that Lisa for sure does. She has to go to the Christmas tree shop, and she has to talk to the tree. The tree speaks back to her, and they have this communication thing going on. And then she's like, I think this is it. I'm like, you know, I try to join in on it, too. I'm like, yeah, I think it spoke to me, too. She's like, you lying. You don't speak tree. Anyway. And so... She's like, I'm going to go get the tree. I'm like, you've never gotten a tree by yourself a day in your life. She's like, what are you talking about? I've been doing it for the last two years by myself. I'm like, no, you have not. There's no way they're going to pick up a huge tree and make that happen. There's just no way that that's going to happen. And my wife, she's like, no, I'm going to go do it by myself. I don't need your help. I'm like, no, you need my help. Do you see all of this that can help you big pick up? She likes, you know, she's a chubby chaser, so she likes the chubby trees. And I'm like, there's just no way that you're going to pick up that tree. There's just no way. She goes, I don't need your help. I'm good. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go because, again, I've, I've gone through therapy. So I go and I get the tree with her. We get home, and she's like, no, I'm going to do this by myself. And she grabs the tree, and I'm like, honey, let me help you. She's like, I don't need your help. And I said, you know what? I'm catching this on video, and I'm showing it to the church. Look at this. There's no volume? I don't think you got it. 
Put that again with the volume. I don't think you got it inside, baby. I got this. <laughs> All right, enough. Honey, let me help you. I got it, baby. I don't think you got it. See, I used to think. You got a whole groupie fan base right now. I used to think that when she said, I got this, it means I do not need your help. But I have discovered after therapy and after counseling that women as capable and as strong that a woman can be, she still appreciates and enjoys being taken care of by her man. And the ladies say, amen. I got it. Misunderstood. Misunderstanding corrected. Why am I talking about misunderstandings? Because I think that sometimes when it comes to the subject of worship, there may be a fundamental misunderstanding when it comes to what worship is. And what I want to do today is I want to take everybody to a therapy session on worship to clarify what a lifestyle of worship genuinely and authentically looks like. See, I think that many times we think worship, we have a misunderstanding on worship. I'm telling you, I think that many times we think what worship actually is, is worship is when they put on the songs and we begin to sing the songs and we think that worship begins with the music playing. Sometimes we'll say that the praise songs are the fast ones and then the ones that you can vibe to, but then the soft ones and the one that makes you feel the goosebumps, oh, that's worship. We walk out the church and we like, oh man, the presence of God was there. That was some serious worship. But I think that that might be an expression of worship. But I want to let you know that worship is not something that flows out of your lips. Worship is the condition or the posture of your heart as it pertains to God. See, sometimes we think that worship is the song that flows out of our lips, but worship actually is the lifestyle that flows out of our heart. See, oftentimes we might think or we have maybe been misunderstood that worship is lip service, but worship is not lip service. Worship is a lifestyle. The reason I titled this message a lifestyle of worship is because many times, again, we have this misunderstanding of what worship is. And the Apostle Paul, what he does in Romans chapter 12, he says that in view of all that God has done, in view of the mercy of God, in view of the grandeur of God, in view of all that God has done and accomplished, it is our reasonable act of worship to respond in that way. See, by the time we get to Romans chapter 12, it is so amazing. Can I tell you, Kuhau, it is so amazing because there are 11 chapters before we get to chapter 12. And in those 11 chapters, Paul begins to unpack this prolific dissertation on the gospel of God. He begins to unpack this beautiful and craft this masterful portrait of the grace of God. Chapter after chapter, the apostle Paul will put together this theological breakdown of what the grace 
grace the gospel of God is. For 11 chapters, he goes on to say things like, it is in the book of Romans that you hear that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. It is in the book of Romans that you hear that we are justified by faith and now we have peace with God. It is in the, the book of Romans that you hear that through one man's sin, all became sinners but through one man's obedience all have become righteous and now in chapter 12 he says in view of all that whew, he goes because you have now been exposed to all the goodness of God give your lives as lip service no as a living sacrifice before the presence of God. I want you to write point number one down, that a lifestyle of worship is a response to the goodness of God. I'm going to say that again because only this side say it in Maine, so I'm going to give this side another chance. I said a lifestyle of worship is a response to the goodness of God. Oh, they did good. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. That's awesome. See, I think Church of God, can I tell you that there is a misconception when it comes to worship from a lifestyle standpoint. I think sometimes we look at worship as if we are trying to provoke God to respond to our level of worship. And so what we do, come on, you guys know that we do this even on a functional level. We begin to worship and we want God to move. As if worship is something that what we, we, we sing our songs and we, the louder we get, the more God's going to move. And the more passionate we get, the more God is going to move. And we see worship like this. We see worship like, hey, I'm going to provoke God to move. And we think that God is simply reacting to our initiatives. So we think that we pray and God reacts. We worship and God reacts. We fast and God reacts. But can I tell you something about worship? That worship is not that we have initiated anything. Let me tell you something. You haven't initiated your salvation. You haven't initiated your life. In fact, all of creation was not initiated by itself. But it was God who initiated and brought everything into existence. And when something comes into existence, it, it is with the fundamental purpose to respond to who God is. And so when you see creation, the reason that creation exists is for the sole purpose to respond to what God has initiated, which is to say that the reason that the mountains are high is a response to who God is, that the reason that the stars shine bright is a response to who God is, that the reason that the birds chirp and fly high, it's all a response to who God is, that even the rocks, they cry out in silence as why? Because it is a response in worship of who God is. If you believe that in this place, give God a shout of praise. Worship is a response to the goodness of God. It is saying I am offering my life as a response to God's reckless love. That when I consider all that God has done, when I consider the things that he has done and given of himself, 
When I consider his person and who he is, I have no other choice but to offer my life to him as a living sacrifice before him. He is not looking to respond to directly proportioned to our level of worship and praise. No, our worship and our level of praise meets all that he has done for us. So that means that when I think about the goodness of God, there was an old song, when I think about the Lord and what he's done for me, when I think about the Lord and how he set me free, I'm going to dance, 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 dance all night. Why? Because I am simply responding to all of God's goodness. Worship is, is a lifestyle, and the lifestyle of worship says I respond to the goodness of God. Can I tell you that worship is not even you being driven by your circumstances. When, when I think about worship, sometimes we're like, man, worship is powerful. How many know that worship is powerful? How many know, like, 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 like Pastor Ro, what do you mean that God doesn't move? I'm not saying that God doesn't move when we worship. I am saying that worship is not conditioned to provoke God to move. However, when there's something about when you worship, that chains begin to break. There's something about when you begin to worship that bondages begin to break. There's something about worship that casts out anxiety. There's something about worship that is powerful. But let me tell you something. That the power of God being manifested in worship is not an outcome of us trying to provoke God to do something. Hear me. Hear me. Catch this. That the reason that the power of God moves, the reason that chains break is not because it's the outcome of us trying to provoke God to move. The reason that chains break is because it is the outcome of what happens when God's children reciprocate what he has already done in your life. So chains break not because you provoke God to move. Chains break because you are finally reciprocating what he's done. The reason that you are being set free is not because you are provoking God to move. The reason that you are being set free is because you are reciprocating all that God has done. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Thank God you guys are 12 feet because the spit, as anointed as it is, it would reach some of y'all. See, it's not meant to provoke God, but it's also not driven by our circumstances. So we don't worship because, because of life circumstances. We worship because of a life crucified. We don't worship because of the facts we see. We worship because of the faith we have in what he has said. We don't worship because we have our problems. We worship because we Stand strong on his promise. A lifestyle of worship is a life that is in constant response to the goodness that God has displayed. He says, in view of your mercy. He goes, I beg you, church, when you take a look at the mercy and the goodness of God, it is only reasonable that we would prostrate our hearts before him and say, Lord, here I am. A lifestyle of worship. Write number two down. Number two is this. A lifestyle of worship is, this, this may not sound familiar or popular. A lifestyle of worship is allowing God's spirit to renew the way we think. 
Look, verse 2, he says, do not conform. Look what he says. He's, I'll bring it back. He says, this is your true and proper worship. This is your, when you offer your life, this is your true and proper worship. And look what he says. He says, he goes, but do not conform to the patterns of this world. He goes, but be transformed by the, what? The renewing of your mind. He goes, then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is. Now notice this, that he, he says, he says, you will be transformed by what? How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. A lifestyle of worship is a life that says that I'm going to allow the spirit of God to renew the way I think. Can I tell you something about marriage? Marriage is, I don't know if you knew this, but marriage is a lifetime commitment. Like I, I, I got the privilege. I actually got a, a, a marriage booking request, wedding request today. I, I got the privilege of marrying people. You know, maybe seven times, three to four times, seven times, three to four times a year I married people. And you know what I do? I sit them down. And I, want to, and I go like this, you know something? Can I talk to you? Yeah, you love him? You love her? Okay. You know this is for a lifetime. Because, you know, sometimes we're like, yeah, to death do us part. Oh, no, no, no. Did you hear Prophetess Jessica Simpson? She said, I'm going to love you forever. <laughs> and this is all I'm asking of you. And she took it to another level. 10,000 lifetimes together. Is that too much for you to do? Yeah. Till death do us part. <laughs> She's like, nah, 10,000 lifetimes. I'm like, girl, you better. That's only Jesus. See, marriage is a lifetime commitment. In fact, marriage is one of the few things that you'll have to commit to for a lifetime. There's not too much that we will ever commit to. Think about it. If somebody says, hey, can you commit this for the rest of your life? You probably no. But for whatever reason, life, we understand marriage is a lifetime commitment. You have 80 summers, well, you're going to spend 80 summers with my mans right here. And you're going to spend 80 summers with my girls right here. All right? It's a lifetime commitment. I'm sending somebody free right now. I know I am. Somebody's like, you know, I'm taking, I'll be like Paul. I'll be single forever. Do more for the kingdom. Right? That's a lifetime. It's a lifetime commitment. Now, why am I saying that? Why? Because there's not too many things that we have to commit to a lifetime. In other words, there are some people that the reason that we never see everything that God has for us is this, it's because we are married to a certain way of thinking. We are married to a certain type of mentality. We are married to a certain way of processing. And when you live a lifestyle of worship, you are constantly before the throne of God in the way you live saying, God, renew my mind to your way of thinking. Renew my thoughts. Let me tell you, I came to help somebody be set free today. Listen, you don't have to be married to that frame of thought. You don't have to be married to the hurt that they caused in your life. You don't have to be married or committed for a lifetime to a certain attitude. Many times we're like, well, this is who I am. This is how I will always be. I came to let you know today that a lifestyle of worship says that the Spirit of God dwells in me, and when the Spirit of God dwells in me, He is renewing my mind every single day so that I can see and become more like the image of His Son, Jesus. You don't have to be married to an old way of thinking. 
He says, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want you to catch this. The Bible says that no one knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of a person. And then he uses the parallel illustration. He says that no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And then he says, the next verse, he says, and, and, and you have been given the spirit of God. He's like, God, I just want to know your thoughts. God, I just want to know what you, what you have for my life. I want to know what job I should have. I, know, I want to know how much money I should make. I want to know what my career path is. I want to know who is supposed to be my boo. I want to know. But then these are your thoughts. And these are God's thoughts. Have you ever noticed how far your thoughts are from God's thoughts? Have you ever noticed how different you think about something and God thinks about something? Come on. You ever, like, have, you ever, have you ever noticed that the way you think about love is different from the way God thinks about love? I know I'm blowing your mind right now. You're like, oh, that's so true. Have you ever noticed that the way you think about forgiveness is different from the way God thinks about forgiveness? Like, you ever, like I, love, I love preaching and we're teaching on the grief and we're like, oh yeah, Pastor Ro was talking about agape love. In the Greek there's this word called agape. And we talk about agape love. It's this unconditional love. And I remember the first time I heard that I was like, agape love? I mean, I got a gap in my love. I don't know what this agape love. I got a gap. Yeah, I'll gap you. I'll, I'll love you from over here. Like, have you ever noticed the way God thinks about something and the way we think about something are totally different? But he says this. He says, the reason that the spirit that I've placed in you is renewing your mind is so that you'll be able to perceive my thoughts. See, so many of us, we want God's thoughts, but it's not that God's thoughts haven't been made evident in your life. The Bible says that the spirit has been placed in you if you've received his free gift of salvation. And when you have done that, that spirit begins to renew your mind if you allow him to renew your mind. And then you are able to then perceive what God's perfect will is. I know that um, many of us enjoy and are grateful to hear Pastor Ruben preach. How many, how many know that Pastor Ruben is just an amazing communicator? He's, he's a phenomenal communicator, honestly. I just love hearing him communicate the message of God's love. I love talking to him about the Bible. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever noticed that Ruben, Ruben is, is a prolific speaker, but he has no rhythm. I'm going to be honest with you. I love that young man. He's a handsome, heck of a handsome young man. My gosh. I mean, second best looking guy in this church. And I, but man, that boy has no rhythm. He claps on the three sometimes, and sometimes he claps on the one. And sometimes you don't even know what he's clapping. He claps on the two and a half. Like, you, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, this is the day. Everybody, come on. This is the day that the Lord has made. All right, stop. He can't do that. He can't do that. He can't. And don't laugh at him because that's actually a condition. I looked it up. It's congenital amusica. It's an actual, it's an actual condition. It's congenital amusica. It's a condition. It's like the tone deafness of a person that they cannot, they, their, their ability to, to, to perceive rhythm has been impaired. 
So, so now I want, I want you to catch this. It's not that the rhythm is not here. It's that Reuben can't perceive the rhythm. Can I tell you something about God's will? It's not that God's will is not here. It's that many times because we are married to our old way of thinking, we cannot perceive God's will. See, I think we could look at this illustration about rhythm and be like, wow, that's crazy. Because let me tell you, if you, especially I'm, I was raised Latino, and let me tell you, like we, we even beat our kids. We got beat with rhythm. Like that thing was in us. Like we got, we would, we would get hit with rhythm. It would be like, you know, I told you not to do that anymore. Like we got hit with rhythm while we were cooking. Rhythm, it's not that it's not present, it's that his ability to perceive it is absent. And too many of God's people are wondering, where is the will of God? What is God's will for my life? And it's not that his will is not present, it's that our ability to perceive it has been impaired. And he says, this is why I desire for my spirit to renew your mind. The Bible says that be, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. is is for you to change the way you think. And when you begin to worship God, it's not for us to simply come to the altar and be unchanged. Too many people have visited the altar, but their soul has never been altered. Why? Because many times we think that worship is just kind of like this venting session. And let me tell you, there is an element of expression that causes us to be poured before God. But it just doesn't stop there. When we think about worship, it is the spirit of God that is working in us so that we can become more like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. For the Bible says that in view of God's mercy, that you can give your life as a living sacrifice. But also elsewhere, it says, when you with unveiled faces be Behold the image of God. You behold the image of his son. You begin to become more like him. And so when you begin to worship, God's spirit begins to transform. And it's no longer that the peace is not there and you're praying for peace. Now because the spirit of God is in you and has renewed your mind, now you can see the peace that has already always been there. It's not that God's grace wasn't there. It's that now you are able to perceive the grace of God. It's it's not that God's goodness is not there. It's that now you are able to perceive the goodness of God. It's not that God's will is not there. It's that now we are able to perceive the complete and perfect will of God. Can we give God a shout of praise in this room? I don't know about you, but I want God's will in my life to be manifested. So often I've said, man, I, God's will is always there. It's always apparent. It's always in existence. It's always being manifested. It's, it's our ability. So oftentimes you hear in the Bible it says, behold, I am doing a new thing. You know what that means to you? That means that the new has come. It's our ability to perceive it that declares if we walk in that newness. He says, behold, take a look at, pay attention that the new has come. Are you able to perceive it? And so oftentimes because of the momentum of our past, we are looking at our past and we say, no, I, I haven't changed. I'm no longer, I, I, I'm never going to get this. And God is saying, no, no, 
I've declared you righteous. I am making you. Yeah, but I messed up yesterday. I know, but I'm making you righteous every single day. Don't worry, my spirit is dwelling on the inside of you. And what about pastor? The Bible says to, 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 to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But if you read the very next verse, it says, but it's the, it's the spirit of God that is working on the inside of you. So how do I work out my salvation in fear and trembling? Why? How? By surrendering myself to the will of God and his spirit working on the inside of me. That's how I work out my salvation with fear and trembling because I cannot attain salvation but it is the spirit of God that is working out his salvation in my life. Last point I, I want to give us before we close as, as we put some amazing background music at the eight minute mark. Last point I want to share with us today is write this down. Number three, a lifestyle of worship is to relinquish our will for his. Now, now I want you to lean in, church. It's to relinquish our will for the will of the Father, the will of God. I think that when we view the mercy of God, know that he's done. It is our reasonable act of worship to surrender our lives to him. I think many of us today that are present today, maybe, maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord and, and that's okay. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We consider you family even before you do. You don't have to believe like us to belong here. We want to welcome you here. And you're welcome to come every single time even if you never believe. But I just want to let you know secretly things begin to happen when you allow God to move in your life. When you surrender your life, what happens is, is that his spirit dwells on in the inside of you. He begins to change your mind and renew it. And then you're able to finally perceive what God's will is. But, and there's another part. Once you're able to perceive what the will of God, as Jesus was able to perceive the will of the Father while he was here on earth, you will always be faced with the dilemma of when God's will conflicts with your own what, what do you do when God's plan is inconveniencing your preferences what do you do when the will of God is in contrary position to your aspirations and your dreams and your desires what do you do when God's desire is interrupting your self-fulfilling destiny see a lifestyle of worship says not my will or yours be done See, the greatest temptation that you'll ever deal with in life is not committing these cosmic, large sins. Sometimes we're like, oh my God, just lead me not into temptation. But that is not the greatest temptation that you will ever experience. Sometimes we're like, listen, we're giving into temptation all the time. But it's not the temptation that we think it is. Well, I'm, I'm not being tempted because I'm not committing these big cosmic sins. No, no, no. But so often the greatest temptation that you will ever experience is giving into these little micro decisions that are constantly pulling you away from the will of the Father. Whew. 
What do you do? Like, what do you do when, God, this is all I ever wanted. This is the, the dream of my life. This is what I want. And God says, that's not what I have for you, son. That's not what I, that's not what I have planned for you. But, I, but I've wanted this all my life. I'm living the dream. He's like, yeah, but that's not my destiny for you. There's a moment in the garden where Jesus was. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is before his disciples and he says, can you pray for me, pray with me for a while? And in that moment, he says, pray that you're not led into temptation. But at that very moment, Jesus is about to deal with the greatest temptation that he will ever deal with. It was not, it, his greatest temptation was not converting bread from stone. It wasn't throwing himself off the edge. That wasn't his greatest temptation. His greatest temptation wasn't even bowing before the devil. Many of us here would never like, you know, like, like, there's somebody, especially if you were raised Hispanic, like, you, you, were, you, were, you were okay with doing sins, but you definitely wasn't messing with no witchcraft. Like, you wasn't doing that, all right? You know what I mean? That wasn't his greatest temptation. His greatest temptation was in that moment where he's before the Father. He says, God, if it, if it is at all possible, pass this cup from me. God, Father... Many translations would translate that moment as Abba. Abba, I don't want this. And it's almost, almost as if there were like two wills at that time. In his humanity and, and his divinity. It's almost at that moment that Jesus is engulfed in his, the fullness of his human nature. And he's, God, nah, my, God, God, if this cup can be passed for me, like... I know I see the millions of millions of millions of millions of people being saved. I see heaven being filled. I see the lost ones coming back home. But God, right now, I'm here. And here doesn't feel good. And I don't want this for my life. But he was the, here's, here, here's where the antidote was. But not my will. Yours be done. Not my preference, let your plan be done. Not my persuasions, but your purpose be done. See, oftentimes when you are walking in a lifestyle of worship and you are living a lifestyle of worship, what will begin to happen is that you will be faced over and over and over again in your journey. All right, I, I, I know that this is of God because my mind has been renewed. I can see this is of God, but I don't want it for my life right now. It's inconveniencing. It's in, and what will happen is that oftentimes you, you have the free will to choose. Am I going to pick up my will? God, I, God I, I, it's not that I, I just, right now I can't do that right now, God. I can't do that right now. That's not what I want for my life. I, I've been planning. I got this. I got my business. I got this job opportunity. And God is saying, just because it's a good thing and just because it's a great thing, it doesn't mean it's the God thing for your life. Your greatest temptation is not going to be avoiding the bad things in your life. Your greatest temptation is going to be accepting the good and the great things that life has to offer in expense for what God has already offered. Not my will, he says, but your will be done. But let me tell you that there is good news. Because when you begin to pick up God's will 
It may not feel convenient at times. It may not feel luxurious at times. It might feel like you're giving up something that you've worked so hard for. But let me tell you, it may feel like a burden, but you will not be able to conceive the blessings that are filled in accomplishing the will of the Father. God says, I have a will for humanity. The Bible says that it is God's will that no man will perish, but people will perish. Why? Because there will be people that will choose their will over the Father's will. But when you begin to pick up the Father's will and you start making the decisions, okay, I know, I know that this is what I want, but this is what the Father wants. And I know this is, this is good and this is great. And I know that they just offer me a new job opportunity, but that's not what God wants for my life. Well, of course, Pastor, that's, this has to be what God wants. I mean, look at the blessings. Look at the blessing that this is. Listen, just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. Hear me. I remember when I went to become a full-time pastor, taking a pay cut from what I was making. The supervisor came and he said, hey, I have this position. The day that I am leaving, I have this position. And I want to offer you 70, the position pays $75,000 a year. And you're the perfect candidate for it because we need a Spanish-speaking supervisor. Now, mind you, I am already taking a pay cut to become a full-time pastor. Because why? Why? Because, I, because God told me to. I knew that this was the will of the Father. I remember calling Reuben and calling Lisa and just crying. I'm like, I know we can't do this financially. I know that we church can't do this. I know we can't do this. But God is telling me to step out on these waters. And I'm crying because I don't want to do what God wants me to do, but I am compelled to do the thing that God has called me to do. And this supervisor says, hey, the position pays $75,000. If you accept, it's yours. If you accept that it, it's yours, bro. You know what I wanted to do right there? I wanted to call an audible. Guys, I don't think I heard God right. Why? Because $75,000 is more than I've ever made in a year from one company $75,000 what I could have my house I could have my car I could have the future that I want for my kids well God wants the blessing for my kids and too many of us are focused on providing people ma children material wealth and positions and opportunity not realize that many times when we provide them that we create this lack of connection towards God $75,000 no but God didn't called me to say yes and as hard as it was I knew that this was the journey that God had for me and you know what I always rest assured I never regret that decision because I know I heard the voice of God and as a matter of fact I'm so proud of my children because when I told my children this I told them hey guys if I take that position I could get you guys whatever you want we can actually have the house that we've always been talking about. They're like, yeah, dad, but you know, that ain't it. That's not what this is about, dad. <laughs> to see my 11-year-old daughter tell me, dad, that's not what it's about. The house could wait. If God tells you to move, move. And at that moment, I realized that I'm 
I'm bringing up kids that are going to choose the will of the Father. A heart of worship and a lifestyle of worship is saying, God, I relinquish my will for yours. It's not going to always feel good to choose and pick up God's will. It may not feel good, but it'll always be worth it. Can we get up on our feet right now? Like Pastor Roe cries in every sermon. I'm sorry. I hadn't cried for 10 years. It's all catching up to me now. I want, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right there where you are. I know the Spirit of God is here. Is that Pastor John in the back? Was that Pastor John here? Pastor John Sandana was here? No? I thought I saw Pastor John. I wanted to honor him in front of our church. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's take this moment. If you're tuning in online, I want to ask you to do the same. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? It's just a moment of where us saying, God, here I am. It's a reasonable act of worship to give ourselves before the Father. Wow, wow, wow. This is worship. This is worship. If you're listening today for the first time and you're saying, man, that my heart is being activated right now to respond to the goodness of God. If that's you today, would you acknowledge what God is doing on the, outs on the inside of you? Could you acknowledge it on the outside of you? And if you're here in this place, and if you're saying, listen, I don't know what's happening right now. I can't put words to it. I want to help you today. I just want to pray for you. But you know in your knower, you know on the inside of you there's something that is taking place, whether it's God saying, hey, I want you to pick up my will. It's there. It's there. Now you can perceive it, and now you can pick it up. Whether it's, hey, God, I wasn't able to see your goodness. Now I am able to see your goodness, and because of that, I can respond in worship. If that's happening on the inside of you, would you allow me to pray for you? I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in your, in your life. He's just working in you. And if that's you today, would you acknowledge on the outside? At the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand. You don't have to lift it up for long. At the count of three, one, two, three. Lift up your hand in this room. I see the hand. I see the hand. I see the hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put your hand right back down. Thank you. Thank you so for being so bold. I want to pray for you. As a matter of fact, I want you to repeat this prayer. I want to put some words to what's happening on the inside of you. Say, dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your free gift of salvation. I give you my life in response to that. I believe that you died for me and rose again on the third day. From this day forth, I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. 
Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.